Waco Real Estate Today with Nathan Embry. Sponsored by Kelly Realtors. sitting here with Bobby Horner. He's the public information specialist with the city of Waco and it's time for another Horner's Corner. Bobby, what's new? Well, we got a lot to talk about, uh, Nathan. Uh, downtown, uh, Terry Black's Barbecue is going in at 8th and Mary. and um, They're going to capitalize on some of that silo traffic. It yes, sounds like. absolutely. Absolutely. That whole that whole area with People Bar and now Terry Black's uh, Barbecue, that whole area is going to be redeveloped in really cool fashion. I know that People Bar folks have told me some things that they are looking at maybe doing you know, as this thing progresses. So uh, uh, they've got some neat ideas, some neat plans, and mm-hmm. there'll be some probably some future things we can talk about uh, on, on this program. Uh, one of the things about Terry Black's uh, barbecue, uh, Rogers O'Brien uh, contractors. I mentioned them only because th- they are making a a big presence here in Waco as general contractors. They actually are the ones that did the original uh, Central Texas Marketplace, that whole layout a few years back. Mm-hmm. And so now they're involved with the new Waco High School. You know the bond issue that passed. Mm-hmm. So Waco High is going to be done by them. They're doing currently doing the AC Hotel. Uh, and uh, the other thing that personal interest, the uh, project, one of the project managers. Uh, of Rogers O'Brien, Steve Munoz is also one of the team members. I'm involved with Skills USA at the state level under carpentry and mainly Teamworks, which is uh, like four. It could be four boys, it could be four girls, or it could be a combination. But they over 14 hours over two days they build a project, uh, maybe four by eight, eight by eight, and it, they have to show their skills in carpentry. They have to show their skills in basic electrical, basic plumbing, and basic masonry. And then the winner of the state competition goes to the national competition. So that is, uh, Steve has been involved with that with Rogers O'Brien, and I'm, I'm heavily involved with it as a tech chair. So really exciting and uh, good to see them. They're opening an office here in Waco. So a lot of, a lot of neat things like that. The other, um, I love crumble cookies. We're getting a second location here. Oh, nice. Yeah, so down on South 10th Street, they're looking at putting in oh, a second crumble cookies. And, uh, again, probably too close to me. <laughs> so, but, uh, close to your office, at least. Yeah, well, yeah, I'll have, to, I'll have to walk. Yeah, you can walk make sure I walk. Get your yeah. steps in. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention, of course, it's been in the newspaper, been in the news. Uh, of course, the, uh, uh, the castle is about to be opened up for tours, uh, I think starting the 15th of this month. Now, I heard through the grapevine, and it doesn't surprise me, I heard through the grapevine that uh, the first day they opened up to start scheduling those tours, hour-long tours, they had like 700 people sign up mm-hmm. right off the bat. So so the castle is is a house museum over there in Castle Heights that Chip and Joanna bought. It's on their tour, their right. van tour. You see it if you take on the, the greater the, – the tour. What's the tour? Called? Waco tour. Thank yeah. you. Wake, you're you're a part. I was a part. Yeah, of that's Waco right. Tours, that's yes. right. We were. Uh, yeah, so that's the castle that's named uh, – Castle Heights is named after that. Right, and that's right. Down, a historic home uh, downtown yeah. Waco, and so you're saying Chip and Joanna has bought it, they've renovated it, and they've, they're going to open it up for tours. Yes, it's real. It's really nice. They're going to give uh, one hour tours, and uh, I believe it's fifty dollars a person. Uh, but twenty of that, I believe twenty of those dollars or twenty percent of it is going to go to uh, one of the local nonprofits here, which is which is really nice. But uh, and then ultimately, uh, the th- they're going to try to sell the castle uh, at some point down the road. Uh, that's been the been the talk. Uh, you Are know. you gonna buy it, Bobby? No, no, that's that's a little big for <laughs> you me. You don't want to run that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You'd be good at it. Oh yeah, yeah. So, uh, but it's a uh, they've done a really good job. I've I've seen it on the inside. It Have looks you really? Fabulous. How'd yeah. you get in there? Uh, I know folks. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
anyway, it's uh, it really is. It, and they cleaned she, it up. They cleaned it up on the outside and was able to clean that stone. It really looks nice. Do you know folks that will allow your favorite podcast host? <laughs> To, uh, to get a little behind-the-scenes tour? Oh, I kind of walked right into that one, didn't I? <laughs> How well do you know these folks, Bobby? So, no, it's uh, it really looks nice. And so uh, it's uh, they're going to be giving tours cool. for, I think, I've heard three months or so at least, and just uh, we'll see what happens. I'd like that. to take that tour. So anyway, it, is, it is really, really nice. That's cool. Uh, let's see. What else? What else? Um, one thing that I think is really going to have a big impact on uh, – Waco, uh, you know, Waco has, has become become a real outdoor sporting venue, uh, not just something people stop off on the weekends. This has been, you know, a big a big thing. We've got, uh, of course, we've got Ironman now locked in for the next seven years. We've got the Silo District Marathon. We've got Tri Waco, Cameron Park, you know, mountain biking, you know, the Xterra races here. Uh, we have uh, wakeboarding championships. Uh, of course, we've got Waco Surf. Uh, out there, that's the that's the training site for our Olympic uh, surfing team, which still blows my mind. But yes, here in Central Texas, wow. and then we may be the, if things play out. After talking with with the owner, I think rowing is going to be the next big thing here in Waco. And there's been some things in the paper about it, but uh, they are gonna they've already got into the high schools. They brought it into La Vega. La Vega now has a rowing team, and the uh, owner wants to. He grew up up in the upper uh, northeast uh, uh, as a rower, and you know, he, kind of the the way he describes it, it's more the elitist. That's kind of the you know the rowing team is on you know for elite people. Well, he wants to bring that down to get into high school and give it opportunities for kids that don't have opportunities to do stuff like that, which is really cool. His part, he's moved here from New York, uh, and his partner is a former Olympic rower from the Athens Olympics, uh, and he's his partner. He's moved to Waco. Uh, the other neat thing that happened on my river cruise about three weeks ago, they brought down a lady from this big multi-million dollar company called Hydro. And what that company does is uh, people are probably familiar with the Peloton bikes that have the scenes that you want to pick. You want I'm going to go ride through this park or these mountains. Well, they do the same thing with rowing machines. And they are so enamored with the Brazos River. It, we found The Brazos is one of the top rivers in the United States to row on because it's so straight. And it's just unheard of, they said, to have this much water, this hmm. much wide you know, water to row on. And we already have, we know we have college teams that come here to train out of state. We've had the Chinese national rowing team here when they were practicing for the, the past Olympics. Uh, they want to promote this. And so it, it's, it's not far-fetched to think that Waco become, could become, the Brazos could become a training site again. Not only that, but they're really enamored with Lake Waco too. There's going to be a new um, Olympic event called Coastal Rowing. Now, this is something new that they're adding. But Coastal Rowing is basically, as I understand it, I think it's like a four-man team. They row out a certain distance. And then they turn around and come back, and then they ring a bell. It's like a relay race or something. And they think Lake Waco uh, is really a great place, has, has the features that they could really use that as a training site. So who knows? You know, Waco may, you know, Colorado, uh, Colorado Springs, Colorado has a lot of Olympic training sites up there. Well, who knows? Waco looks like it's getting some of their summer Olympic events. And so. to bring this back into a real estate discussion, what that might do is bring more jobs, yes. more people, more building permits, more housing, more commercial space needed yes. for retail stores yes. and repair shops and whatever else. And when you say rowing, you're talking about long skinny boats. Yeah. Um, the sculling the boats. Yeah. Sculling boats. Yeah. So, um, and that's going to be, you know, the Waco has the Waco Rowing Commission here and they, they had a, a building built up on the Brazos. They'd like to get it you know, closer into town. And, you know, it's going to be opened up to anybody that wants to hopefully uh, learn that sport. I think it'd be fun to try. So, uh, anyway, th- and you're right. That's I think that's one of the benefits. When you have all these people coming to Waco and they're seeing Waco for the first time, 
and um, they're wanting to bring. Um, I had a, I had another lady on her on my river cruise about two weeks ago that her and her husband may look at Waco to bring the, their chefs, and they want to do another Italian restaurant. Mm. There, so. Who knows? It's, been, it's that kind of exposure yeah. that Waco's getting that's bringing people here. I need to give you some of my business cards for your for your, <laughs> <laughs> for your uh, river. Yeah. <laughs> oh, great so, job, Bob. Anything else on your list? Uh, I think that is it. One final thing, and I may have mentioned this before, but it's really been interesting. For years, uh, the, the, the riverfront development has been talked about being a $100 million development. And I know in the 46 years I've been in Waco, it's been that. And then I think it even started maybe back as far as 1968, talking about Riverfront. But now, and I've changed this even on, on my tours, I've changed, uh, uh, we've changed it to say $700 billion because of just over the last things with, you know, the city and the Baylor and all that stuff that's going on downtown. So uh, it's really been exciting to see. And when all that hits, and that's just downtown. So Again, more people will be coming. That's great. And so we got a lot, lot of neat things a lot of stuff here. stuff in real estate going on. Yes, it, it is. It's a really fun is. time. Yeah. And you're right in the middle of it. This has been Bobby Horner. He's the public information specialist with the city of Waco. What an excellent Horner's Corner. Thanks, Bobby. You bet. Thank you. Yeah. I'm sitting here with Roy Nash. He's the president and CEO of NeighborWorks Waco. How you doing, Roy? Very good. Thanks, Nathan. And we've already touched on a couple of the challenges, rising interest rates, uh, supply is low. Do you know of any other uh, challenges right now that you're seeing that we should talk about on becoming a homeowner? Well, you know, people are are concerned because, you know, when you go to the real estate market and and you're seeing uh, homes that are uh, in the two hundred thousand dollar range it's like wow aren't those for for wealthy people aren't those for rich people and yeah it it used to be but now the the average buyer is going to have to get used to uh paying that kind of money a little bit more money for for the average home uh now some people might say well you know i I found a home that it was one hundred twenty five thousand. well i would say I'm I'm suspicious. I'm I'm guessing that that home has some issues somewhere that you, if you don't address them, you're going to pay for it later. And uh, so we also encourage folks when you find that home, buy a home that will last uh, for a lifetime of of living, and not one that you're going to have to constantly pour money into to keep prepared uh, as you go along. Um, in fact, the the home the new homes that we build. Nathan, our, we love all brick masonry on the outside. We don't do a one side or two side. We like all the way around the home. We want it to be masonry product of some sort uh, because we don't want clients to have to, to, to paint for 25 years, if you will. And uh, we also want our homes to have the best insulation. And so the foam insulation we used is the top of the line. And it's going to seal that that home, and they're going to have the lowest utility bills of anybody. So you're spraying your spray foam in the walls and the roof. <clears throat> absolutely, absolutely. None, no more laid in. It's good product. It's just not as good as as the it's foam. Spray foam. Yep. So we get the best best numbers. Our customers get the best home as a result. And so you guys are selling these, I guess. Um, so th- that's how the nonprofit makes y'all's money so y'all can keep going is you just have a little margin and, um, any other way that the nonprofits functioning, 
how are they doing their thing? Well, we, we're also, I didn't tell you this earlier, but we're part of a national network called NeighborWorks America. And NeighborWorks America receives an appropriation from Congress uh-huh. every year. And so as one of their uh, organizations, and we're one of 250 mm-hmm. around the country, um, we get grants uh, coming from, from NeighborWorks that helps us with some of our overhead uh, staffing, education, and, and so forth, and even some with uh, capital for, for real estate. So for that, but we actually make money in our rental program. Uh, we started buying homes uh, back during the foreclosure crisis of, that started around 2008 or so, and uh, we built that po- portfolio up now to about 130 properties. So you have rentals across town and people can come to your office and say, can I rent and get in line for ownership? Is that yeah. how that works? Well, they can. Or if they just need to rent and without an intent to, to buy a home, they can do that too. But we love to have families in those homes that eventually want to become a homeowner. Mm. Now, let me say this. We keep our rental properties in tip-top condition, in excellent condition. They stay very full. So, and we don't keep a wait list uh, for for folks to come up. Now, if we knew you wanted a home, uh, we'd we'd put you on a list and probably call you. But typically, we don't do a wait list because when we put one of our rental properties on the market, it's gone that day. Oh wow! Yeah, it's gone that day. The demand is that high. That high, absolutely. All right. So we talked about the demand being high because there's some challenges like deposit and price and interest rates. We've kind of touched on those. Let's talk about some of the possible possible solutions that you see. Okay. Um, how do we fix this? Well, you know, we're, we're going through a, a program now where we're learning about shared equity uh, uh, housing. And uh, people say, well, gosh, I if I get equity in my home, I don't want to share it with anybody. Well, the shared equity programs are only for families who otherwise would not qualify to buy a home. And uh, so would you rather buy a home that you ended up having to share part of the equity with, or, or would you like to be a renter the rest of your life? So we're actually partnering with a, uh, one of our sister organizations out of Burlington, Vermont, who have been doing shared equity programs now for 40 years, 40 years, and they've sold over 600 homes through that shared equity program. So, uh, and basically the way that it works is when you buy that home, that shared equity home, uh, you're buying only the house, you're not buying the land. So the nonprofit would continue to own the land and they would ensure that when you sell your home, then you have to resell it to another low income buyer. So that low income, it could be up to 120% of the area median income. So not, not back to that 80%, but you've got to agree that when you sell it, we've got to be involved in that as an organization. And we're going to find another buyer then who qualifies as a little bit lower income um, on, the, on the market. And by doing that, we're hoping that the taxes are going to be lower and possibly even the insurance uh, might even be a little bit lower on those programs. So we're just getting into it with um, the Champaign Housing Trust. If somebody wanted to learn about their program, you can go online and type that in up in Burlington, Vermont, and learn about how that program uh, works. So, so you're sharing the equity uh, with the organization, not with a, not with individual investors or anything like that. No, no. So the organization would actually the way their program works, they they keep seventy five percent of the equity, 
the 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 seller of the of that home keeps twenty five percent. Now mm-hmm. we we get to decide our our shares at a later day once we get into the program. But what they do, they take their seventy five percent and reinvest it in that home so that they can make it affordable for the next oh, buyer. Okay. So they don't typically keep that internally. It goes plows right back into the home to keep it always affordable. I got you. Yeah. So that's how you kind of keep your inventory and those folks looking for that first home, uh, the opportunities to get another house yeah. like that. But you think about it, if you're actually saving the cost of the land to buy that home, that's a pretty significant savings. So unless it's one of those five hundred dollar lots, yeah, no more five hundred dollar <laughs> lots. They're not they're not there anymore. So. All right, uh, other solutions for this problem that we're in. Yeah, well, you know, I've I put a sort of a list together of other things that that we could talk about, like smaller homes on smaller lots, um, manufactured housing, um, accessory dwelling units, and so forth. All right, let's take the easy one first: manufacturing housing. The city says no in general, right? And so you'd be advocating for uh, revisiting the code. Well, no, let's let's back up. The city actually doesn't say no. Now they might say no to mobile homes, a house that comes in on wheels and sits there with wheels exposed. Manufactured housing has been legal in in uh, Waco as long as you put it on a fixed foundation. Okay, and so we actually back about. Uh, Five, six years ago, we looked at, at doing a, a manufactured housing program, and we calculated against our cost of construction back then, and we could actually build it for less money, uh, building it stick frame versus bringing it in on a truck and setting it on a foundation. Now, we were doing that with a, a what we'd call, let's say, a double-wide house and with a pitched roof. So there's still a lot of on-site things that have to be done to that house. If you bring in a, quote, a single-wide manufactured home, now you don't have as many on-site issues uh, to deal with. And that, the price of that housing would actually be less money. And so uh, we're looking at that, and actually we're hoping to become a direct dealer with some of the major manufacturers Mm -hmm. so that we can do that in a cost-effective way. Uh, right here in Central Texas. Okay, good to know. Manufactured homes <laughs> yep. is a yes in the city of Waco and surrounding cities? Yeah, it, uh, again, not mobile home. Yeah. Uh, so manufactured home can have the same building standards as any other on-site built home, mm. site-built home. So don't think of manufactured home as less quality, okay? Now, if it comes in with a lower pitch, uh, we can we can correct that. You know, we can put a higher pitch on it. Uh, but we have to do that on site because that house won't go down the road under bridges and so forth, if you will. So uh, so those add to the cost, but we're going to be looking at some manufactured home uh, programs mm. uh, here in town. So Smaller houses on smaller lots. Yep. So typically the, the standard is a 50-foot front lot for Waco. So if you want to build on one with a smaller front footage, uh, you've got to get a variance, and that means going through city council and mm-hmm. so forth. And we have a few of those lots uh, because the, the the lots we bought through some of those city programs, we didn't realize the neighbor was encroaching on that lot a little bit. Uh, so we have some lots that, that are less than 50 foot, essentially, by the time we get ready to build on them. And, uh, but we've got to probably put a little smaller footprint 
of a house on those on those lots, mm-hmm. and those will certainly be at a lower lower cost then. And uh, just one of the things we've got to look at, and and I think by and large, consumers are going to need to to decide if they can get by with less footage, square footage in their home uh, to live. And the city's not pushing back on these smaller homes. Well, we're we're the city's going through a study right now, and uh, those are some of the things that we're talking about in those studies. Is can we come in with quote tiny houses? or at least smaller houses, uh, because they're plenty livable. They're just not quite as, as fancy and, and uh, might not have the same street appeal uh, as some of the bigger homes. But we're coming up to a point where with the affordability issue, we're going to have to look at some of these things. And, of course, one of the things we're going to be dealing with is, is the not-in-my-backyard sim- syndrome, the NIMBY uh, syndrome. And somehow or other, we're going to have to get beyond that because – some of these things are going to end up being in your backyard uh, if they come to fruition. And all you mean by that is a smaller home? I mean, it doesn't sound like... <laughs> it could be, but even with the accessory dwelling units yep. is another issue. And, you know, I've owned two different homes in Castle Heights. Both of those homes had accessory dwelling units. And uh, what, what is that? Accessory dwelling unit is like a home behind a home. A smaller, it's a smaller footprint. It's probably a, might be a tenth of the size of that home. But in Castle Heights, those came about because when that neighborhood was created, it was before they were part of the city of Waco. And so they were essentially servants' quarters, if you will. And so you had garage apartments and that kind of thing where a servant lived that, that worked for the family that owned that, that home in Castle Heights. And uh, so if you drive around that neighborhood, you'll see a lot of garage apartment type uh, uh, buildings. And what they're used for now is a lot of times you'll have a student who will want to live in there. One of mine that I owned in Castle Heights, my parents actually lived there for a time uh, because their home had burnt and they were out of their home for about six months. Mm. And so I was able to put my own uh, parents in, in that accessory dwelling unit in our backyard. So what you're saying, I think, is some places like Castle Heights, by the way, for those listening, that's in downtown Austin Avenue uh, past 18th Street. Uh, And so you already have some back there. But I think kind of what you're saying is these areas where they don't have that, the city says no right now. They say no right now. And we might have to revisit that code through the city council uh, to look at those rules to yep. see if they still make sense. Yeah, and, and Nathan, there even the president of the United States is pushing these. I attended a, in uh, remotely a, a conference at, for the White House pushing accessory dwelling really? units. Exactly. And you think about it, some of the states where building construction is so expensive, like California and other places along the West Coast, they've gone to accessory dwelling units in a, in a way to help ease the cost burden uh, for some of those homes. Where's the city of Waco on that today? Well, they're study. They're doing a study. Well, they're it's on their list. Okay, and certainly the the uh, um, uh, uh, firm that that did the study for them recommending coming up with a policy on accessory dwelling. So you units. see, you see some change coming in that. I I certainly hope so. I mean, if they work well for Castle Heights, why wouldn't they work in other places? You know, around around the community. And I think they would. There has to be some restrictions. You have to provide off-street parking uh, for whoever's living there. 
Uh, some communities require whoever lives there to be a kinfolk of some sort. Uh, so there's various ways to restrict that. You think of an elderly parent maybe could live there once they move out of that other home, let the family move in, and they move to the to the little uh, accessory dwelling home behind the, the home. So all kinds of potential uses uh, for accessory dwelling units, and you're not having to repurchase land to build them. You already own the land. Yeah. So you, know, you have to get the plumbing and, and so forth, electricity to the unit to make it livable. That's my list of questions. Is there anything that you wanted to say that I didn't hit or something important that they should hear? Well, I think one of the, the things that just to sort of help wrap up here, uh, Nathan, is the cost burdens to families, particularly lower income, uh, is, is becoming a significant factor in our community. And so what is cost burden in, in home ownership when you're paying more than 30% of your income for your home, which includes includes your taxes and insurance, you are now becoming cost burdened for that home. And in many cases, the lower of incomes, let's say if you're making uh, less than 30000 a year, you have significant cost burden because you're probably paying over 50% of your income for your home, uh, taxes and insurance. So, uh, and that number, of course, is not as great if you make a little bit more money uh, up to fifty thousand, uh, you're you're a significant number of folks are still cost burden, even folks who some make seventy five thousand and just above that have some cost burdens uh, in in Waco and McLennan County, and so we're we're needing to come up with solutions to ease the cost burden uh, for these lower income families. It sounds like, in addition to some of the solutions you talked about, there's we could have another show and talk about the taxes and the insurance because mm -hmm. like you said, those things are included in the, the costs. It might not just be one solution. There's several things we could talk about. Absolutely. If those go down too, uh, it seems like it would help. Absolutely. And what we're going to end up seeing if we don't uh, address the issue is people are going to be moving out into the country and living in a little uh, RV of some sort uh, of, of various qualities. In fact, if you try to find an RV space today, Good luck. Golly, Good luck. Yeah. You know, so, so we're coming on, on difficult times. We need to address and, and come up with some great solutions. Well, I'm glad that you're here to talk about it. This has been informative. This is Roy Nash, the president and CEO of NeighborWorks Waco. How can they find you? Uh, we're at 922 Franklin. 752-1647 uh, is our phone number. And uh, we have a staff of nine folks uh, ready to help and get folks started. They can also go online, uh, nw-waco.org is our online. And actually, if somebody wants to apply for their program, that's where they'd get started uh, with filling out our application. Excellent job. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Nathan. Appreciate it. You can find me on social media if you search for Nathan Embry CCIM. My website, where you can see my listings, is kellyrealtorscommercial.com. Waco Real Estate Today is produced by Rogue Media Network. You can find more of their podcasts at roguemedianetwork.com. This 
has been a Rogue Media Podcast. Thank you.